One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Megron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Boses, the other called Sinai. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come down to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be a sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they are hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hand, into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and his feet, with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Our speaker this morning is Pastor Will Henderson. Will serves as a church multiplication coach and regional accessor for new church planners for the CMA. He has served as an urban core missionary and church planner in Cleveland and in Toledo. Will is a community leader that is passionate about seeing the kingdom of God advance in his city. He has been a part of the church planning world for 15 years and currently serves as a lead pastor of Lead Community Church, a new church plant in Toledo, Ohio. Lead stands for live every day as disciples. Will believes that gospel proclamation and demonstration is essential for spiritual renewal and awakening in our generation. You can find out more about Will's ministry and how we might be able to help him further by visiting his church website at lead419.com. Will is married to the love of his life, Charmaine, and together they have a beautiful, blended family of four, Mariah, Micah, and if I could turn the page, Christina and Christian. Will and Charmaine have a burden to see the kingdom of God transform the lives of those they encounter. 
Will enjoys spending time with his family outdoors and smoking meat. So at this time, I'll let welcome Will Henderson up to the podium, and let's give him a warm sigh of welcome. Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Thank your you hospitality. So awesome. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much. Shout out to the worship team. Thank you for ushering us into the presence of God this morning. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor and a joy to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, join me in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, you're so kind. Uh, we sing, holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your glory is filling the streets of Sio and Toledo and this whole world. And we thank you that we get to be a part of your big picture plan to redeem men and women, boys and girls, that they may know you for all eternity. Father, the best of men are but flesh and blood and have no power except as you lend them power. So, Dad, would you lend me power? Would you love this beautiful church, these people? Would you love them through me? You're sufficient for such things, Lord. And so I put this in your hands. Would you bear fruit that would remain for your glory alone? In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So about two years ago, uh, my wife and I were living in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, you guys probably know where, that, <laughs> know where that's at. We were hanging out in Monroe, Michigan, you know, nice little apartments, nice and quiet. Uh, a lot of barbecue, a lot of grillers out there in Monroe, Michigan. Quick story. Uh, I had a neighbor, I was outside grilling one day, and I had a neighbor, he would walk past and he would just be like, mm-hmm. And so, I go, true story, I go to the Walmart out there and I'm buying some charcoal and the store clerk says, well, you got to be careful out here when you barbecue because you'll hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't believe, I was like, that just happened like last week. Well, we were in Monroe, Michigan, and seeking the Lord for our next steps, my wife and I, and the Lord prompted us to go on a fast. And during that fast, the Lord said, uh, I want you to go to Toledo and plant a church. And I said, God, Toledo, I don't have any friends there. No, I don't know anybody in Toledo. And he continued to impress this upon my wife and I. Uh, the problem was with that we had just signed our lease like two or three months ago. And I'm like, Lord, I know you're not telling me to break my lease. And so we continued to pray and seek God, and a flood came. And it flooded all the first-level apartments. And that led to circumstances that allowed us to be released from our lease without penalty. And so we moved to Toledo, no friends, no family, just uh, uh, the GOD, Great Lakes District. I'm originally from the Central District. 
And uh, the Lord uh, says, I want you to begin working toward this church plant. So somebody gave me a key to a room maybe about this size, and it was just chairs. And uh, we start doing open mic nights and all these events. And then we did that for five months. And then the Lord says, stop, pray. And then he says, now I want you to start the Bible study for the church plant. And I'm like, great. So I went to churches all around, and I couldn't find one single solitary spirit-filled Bible-loving Jesus-preaching Christian to come help us. And I was frustrated. God, you have called us from this place here, and we don't know what you're up to. And so the morning of district conference, I was putting my game plan together on how I was going to get out this situation and go back to Monroe Mission and Barbecue. Barbecue. And on that morning, the Holy Spirit just impressed upon me as clear as day uh, as I was frustrated. with God. I said, God, I don't understand. This is not working. And he said, what did Jesus do? And I laughed. I said, like the bracelet? And then he showed me in my mind's eye, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, asking unbelievers to come follow him. He says, son, you've been asking the wrong people to come follow you. And so by faith, we moved. By faith, we had these events. And by faith, I created these Bible studies after the Lord showed me that I was uh, uh, speaking to the wrong people. I created a, a little flyer and invited unbelievers to come to this Bible study. And about 15 of them showed up. And by the third week, we saw our first five conversions. That's a miracle. I didn't see that when I was in Monroe. God was inviting me to join him and obey him by inviting me to take a faith-filled risk. He invited me to be a part of his big picture plan and what he was up to in Toledo by inviting me. He says, listen, I want you to obey me, but it's going to take a faith-filled risk. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How to take a faith-filled risk in obedience to God. You know we're a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Our eighth core value is this. Achieving God's purposes always involves taking faith-filled risk. And this always involves change. That's what we believe. That achieving God's purposes in Toledo or in Sayo will always involve taking faith-filled risks, and it will always involve change. And so there will be times in your relationship with Jesus when he will ask you to take a faith-filled risk in obedience to him. In other words, there will be a time where Jesus will ask you to do something, and you won't have all of the answers. You won't have all of the details, and you're going to have to make a decision to obey him without having all the pieces filled in. What is the faith-filled risk God has been asking you to take? And for some of you, he's about to ask you to take some. 
So maybe it's the risk of righteousness, the risk of doing the right thing. Uh, maybe you think, man, if I do the right thing, it's going to cost me. I don't know what to expect. Maybe it's the risk of letting go of addictions and unhealthy people. Man, I don't know how to live without those things. I don't know how to live without those vices, habits, and those unhealthy people in my life. Maybe it's the risk of a God-sized assignment, a call to serve God in some specific way with some specific vision or mission that he has been given you and that he's drawing you to, and you feel like, God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources to pull it off, much like how I felt when he told me to come to Toledo. Maybe it's the risk of a new opportunity or direction or path that you believe God wants you to take, but you're filled with uncertainty because you don't have it all figured out. You can't quite get it on the Excel spreadsheet. Some of us are data-driven people, and that's good, but we got to be spirit-led people to be faithful. In our text, if you would turn with me, 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, in our text that was just read, we're going to discover some principles to help us take faith-filled risks the risk that God could be leading and guiding and prompting you to take. And so I'm going to set the stage here, right? A uh, uh, little uh, history lesson about Israel. Joshua has just led Israel, the people of God, into the promised land, all right? And they're fighting the enemies that occupied the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised them and that he had given them. And after Joshua dies, we know what happened. The people begin to rebel against God, uh, and then they would uh, uh, cry out to God, and God would raise up a local leader called a judge to set them free, and then it was rinse, wash, repeat, right? We know that, right? And one day, the people of God said, listen, we want a king like all the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. We want to be like everybody else. And God says, eh, if I give you a king, he's going to be harsh. He's going to oppress you. Uh, they insisted, though. And King Saul became the first king of Israel. King Saul was not faithful to God, and his disobedience caused great difficulties for the people of God. However, King Saul had a son, and his son's name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was just the opposite. He was faithful to God, and he had a desire to obey God and bring him glory no matter the cost. And Jonathan one day, in our text we saw, we just read, and Jonathan, uh, along with his assistant, become two unsung heroes. And they display their faithfulness and loyalty to God by taking a faith-filled risk to drive out the enemy in obedience to what God had told them to do. Watch this while everybody else, including Saul, Jonathan's dad, Played it safe. In our text, King Saul, he's, it's wartime, and so he gathers 3,000 uh, of his troops, and, and then he takes 1,000 of those troops, and he places them under the command of Jonathan. And Jonathan, he bosses up. He's a leader, right? You ain't got to tell him twice. So he takes his 1,000 troops, and he goes, wins a small battle against the Philistines. And we know who the Philistines are. Man, they made life miserable for the people of God. They were hard on the people of God. As a matter of fact, they kidnapped all their blacksmiths so they, they couldn't have weapons and then overcharged them when it came to making farming equipment. 
I don't know if you ever bought a John Deere tractor. I, 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 I used to work at Sears, so that stuff can be costly. Amen. I could barely afford the clearance. Amen. And so the Philistines, they, they, they stripped them of all their weapons of war. However, Jonathan and his troops had a little mini battle in a place called uh, Gibeah. And, uh, and King Saul, he rallied up these 3,000 troops so they can prepare for another attack. So here's what's happened. Jonathan goes out. He wins. Saul gets the word. Yes, let's ride the momentum of this victory, and let's get these 3,000 troops together. And he gets everybody all riled up. But what happened is Jonathan stirred up a hornet's nest. Because the news of this defeat between Jonathan and this other battle with the Philistines caused the Philistines to say, oh yeah, we're going to get 6,000 troops, men on chariots, as a matter of fact, and foot soldiers that are as numerous as the sand of the seashore. If you've seen one of those old medieval movies and you see them sprawled out across the battlefield and it's like you can't count them. So when Israel saw how outnumbered they were, they hid in caves. They hid in bushes. They dug holes in the ground and covered themselves up. They found empty wells. And some of them ran for miles to other cities. Now, growing up, I would, <laughs> coming home from school, growing up, I would get chased by dogs. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but one thing I know, when you are afraid of a dog about to bite you, you will find some creative spaces and places to hide. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so Saul, here he is, he's left with 600 soldiers. After everybody ran, everybody fled, hiding in whales, running for their life, here Saul is, he's left with 600 soldiers out of the 3,000. And these 600 soldiers, watch this, they were Camping around a pomegranate tree, hiding, comfortable, content on the defense instead of doing what God told them to do, which was to drive out the Philistines from out of the land. And God says, I'm going to give you the power to do it. If I tell you to do it, I'm not asking you how many people you got. I'm not asking you to take a census. If I call you to do it, then it implies I'm going to empower you to do it. And so instead of obeying God and engaging in the battle to advance God's rule in the land of Canaan, Saul decides to chill. As my kids say, Dad, I just want to chill. I don't want to clean my room. I just want to chill. Saul decides to take a load off kick back, take it easy, and enjoy his comfort under the pomegranate tree while he's in the midst of a battle. This is the leader. Saul's enemy is trying to destroy him, plotting against him, and has sent out, watch this, when they found out they was hiding, Saul's enemy says this, they say, listen, we don't even need the 6,000. We're just going to send out our special ops. We're going to send out three teams. We're going to send out SEAL Team 6, a couple of those. That'll wipe you right on out. In other words, they said, we don't need a big army because you're hiding instead of defending your land. You're not even occupying and defending your space. 
not going to waste manpower for that. You don't take that much. Listen, we give the enemy ground to advance his rule in our lives, in our family, in our church, in community, when we choose to hide in fear and in unbelief instead of obeying the will of God by faith. If we want to see the kingdom of God at work in us and through us to push back the darkness in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community, then we must pray in faith, apply God's word by faith, obey by faith, share the gospel with the lost by faith, start marketplace ministries by faith, start businesses for the kingdom by faith, sow and give to the work of God by faith, launch ministries by faith if you want your land to be occupied by the rule of God. If not, the enemy will take the territory. And for some of us, he may not be putting up much of a fight, might not take that much. So therefore, Saul's army, they're relaxing, running, hiding from the enemy in fear. But these two unsung heroes Jonathan and his armor bearer, they decided to obey God, and they took a faith-filled risk. And so these two unsung heroes were concerned about the glory of God. They're up under the pomegranate tree. And they said, we can't move like this no more. We can't stay like this anymore. Which brings me to the first principle of taking a faith-filled risk. You must choose obedience over comfort. You must choose obedience over comfort. 1 Samuel 14, 1, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. We're up under this pomegranate tree, but Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gebeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. And so the assignment from God was really clear. Drive out all the enemies and I will give you the ability to do it. He didn't say if you have enough swords or weapons. He says, do it and I will help you do it. And so they could no longer justify chilling under the shade of the tree in the midst of battle. Jonathan and his assistant says, man, I can no longer justify being complacent up under the pomegranate tree when the enemy is running amok all over the place. We have been entrusted with God and his power. We have been given favor to do this work and what God has called us to do. We're not, Jonathan and his said, we're not going to sit back and just let the enemy have his own way. And in order for Jonathan to obey, watch this, the text said he had to leave his father behind because his father chose, watch this, comfort over courage. He chose to stay under the tree, not Jonathan or his assistant. Jonathan chose to step out in faith. Jonathan had to leave behind, watch this, the one who should have been leading the way. Think about this. Jonathan is not the king. The king is up under the tree. Jonathan should have been following the lead of the king, but the king is hiding under the tree. He had to lead behind the one who should have been leading the way. Watch this. The people who should have been following God with him, he had eventually, Jonathan had to do it without them. Because he chose to obey God. 
over comfort. Listen, there are some people you are going to have to leave behind because of what God is telling you to do. If you've been a child of God any amount of time, you will know it to be true. Give your life to Jesus in high school. You got to leave those friends behind. Go to college. Ooh, yeah, I might have to leave these frat parties behind. Man, but that's my friend. You get into a relationship. You love Jesus, the other person don't. Ah, I got to obey God. You're at work and God says, ah, I need you to go work over here. Ah, but I like this money. It happens. And it is no different when God calls you to follow him. There are some people in your life that are too comfortable to handle the call on your life. They're too comfortable. It frustrates them. You're obeying God, but, but because of comfort, the comfort of the pomegranate tree makes, makes, makes uh, folks resistant to change. And there are some people who are too comfortable to change. They like the way things are. They choose the shade of the pomegranate tree, even though they need to change it up to get in the battle. However, our CMA, eighth core value is this. Taking a faith-filled risk is what we signed up for. Will always involve change. Don't let comfort contaminate the change or the new thing God is trying to do in you and through you. When following Jesus, you will have to choose obedience over comfort. There's some God-inspired dreams in here. There's some God-inspired vision and ambition in here. Watch this. That will make comfortable people uncomfortable as you take steps of faith. Just expect it. Don't take it personal. Just expect it. The first time God called me in the full-time ministry, I was working for a company, uh, and it paid well. I was getting bonuses, right? I was living a comfortable life, and during that time, God began to impress upon me to resign and go work in the hood at a little, small little alliance church that was a replant and become the assistant pastor without pay. Oh, that's what I said. That's exactly what I said. So went out to eat and made a list on why, God, this won't work. Because God, evidently, you, you, you might, maybe you in math, I don't, I, I don't know I don't know if you and math work together, but, but I need to let you know that one plus one is still two and three minus two is still one. And so I write out the list on why it wouldn't work of all my excuses. And, and I come home and I turn on the TV and it was one of those, you know, those, those religious networks, you know, how sometimes they just, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, put it on TBN or whatever it was, the word network. I don't know, whatever it was at the time. And it was this guy on there, and he was telling his story on how he went into full-time ministry and how he had to leave his job, and he began to list the same excuses. You know, God will do that. You know he'll do that. The same excuses and tears because I knew I couldn't deny it any longer. God was calling me to step out of my comfort and to demonstrate courage. 
and to take a faithful risk in obedience to him. And after that, I wrote my resignation letter. I'll come back to that shortly. Number two, when taking a faithful risk, number two, God is not limited by our limitations. That's what we got to remember. God is not limited by our limitations. Notice what he says in verse 6. I love it. He says, let's go across the outpost to those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. We out of here. We up. They can stay up under the tree. We're going to obey God. Notice what he says. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether it's, what, whether it's many or only a few, 600 or 3,000. We know where Saul's mind was. It just didn't add up. Jonathan knew that his God was not limited by his limitations. And his armor bearer says, do what you think is best. The armor bearer replied, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. By the way, that's a good friend. That's loyalty. I trust the same God you trust. Husbands and wives, that's how we want to stick together. You know what? I don't know if I understand it, but perhaps the Lord, and I'm with you. I'm with you in this. Right? Notice the phrase, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Their, their focus was on God's ability, not their ability to bring about the victory. They recognized that God wasn't limited by their limitations. Now, don't get me wrong. They had some real limitations. They were limited by location, the text says. They were located on one side of the cliff at the top of the hill, and the Philistines were on the opposite side of the cliff. Right between these two hills, there was a very unsafe route uh, uh, that, that you would go through, the pass of Michmash. The only problem is the safe route was occupied by the Philistines. They had the upper hand. So, so, so they had to go through a, a difficult route, a difficult way, a dangerous way. And the Philistines didn't have to do that. As a matter of fact, the route of the Philistines was a faster route. Their route was agonizing. They were limited in this battle by location. They were also limited by position. After the travel, after they go through this rough terrain, they were positioned now at the bottom of the Philistines' hill. Here it is. And they got a, he said he climbed up with his hands and feet. To climb up to him. So they have the upper hand. And so he's climbing with his hands and feet, which means that they had the higher ground. He was limited by his position. But they were also limited by music, munition. Ain't had no weapons. He kidnapped all of the, the blacksmiths. He couldn't go to the gun show where nothing had happened. They were turning them away at the gun show. Like, no, no, you, you Hebrew, no. <laughs> That's how they did it. All they had was one sword between the both of them. Jonathan had one. And the armor bearer, his job was to carry the rest of the weapons. So he was temporarily unemployed. We're going to come back to that in a minute. 
Jonathan's response to these limitations was this, perhaps, meaning it may be that the Lord will win the battle for us because he's not dependent on location, position, or munition. But we won't know unless we go and take the first step. Listen, their faith during uncertainty was rooted in their understanding of an omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful God. Their confidence was in the limitless power of Yahweh. And testimony after testimony after throughout their history, it's good to read church history too, Testimony after testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God. And so all they were doing was acting on what's true of the character of God. And what they had experienced on these journeys. And so God is not limited by your, watch this, your education, your experience, your ability, your failures, your flaws, your family, your finances, your trauma, your triggers, your trials, or your tribulations. Why? Because his power is limitless. He is not limited by your or my limitations. And so if we're going to obey God and take those faith-filled risks, watch this, we got to have a perhaps perspective. A perspective that considers the possibilities of what God can do regardless of how bleak or or dark or difficult or uncertain the situation may seem. Perhaps. Because he's not dependent on anything about us. Do you know the burning bush was one of the greatest pictures of the self-sufficiency of God? He chose the bush, but he didn't need the bush. He didn't consume it for energy in order to burn it. And what he's showing is, Moses, I am the self-sufficient one. You are a branch, Jesus says. He is the vine. So he's not dependent. He just needs, are you available? Will you be a willing vessel? And so, listen, listen, there are some things you won't find out until you step out. There are some details, some circumstances, some outcomes, some answers, some resources, provisions that you won't know until you take the next step of faith, trusting God to guide you. And so my story picks up. I wrote my resignation letter, and I had to contact uh, my landlord's renting at the time, contact my landlord, and I said, uh, hey, man, um, first of the month, you're going to have to evict me because I have no idea how I'm going to be able to pay you. And he says, what? I'm like, yeah, God told me it's been a year. God told me in so many ways, I, gotta, I have to leave my job, man, but I'm not asking for a favor. You do whatever is right. I trust God. Man, God ain't tell you to do that. Why, 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 why? I said, I know it don't make sense to me either, man, but he's doing stuff that's creeping me out, and I got to obey him. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe me if I told you this stuff right? And so during that time, my daughter took ill, and I went from packing my bags to move into my pastor's basement where I was going to be as assistant pastor. I'm like, he was like, well, maybe I'm like, yeah, but I don't know whatever we got to do. And he called me. My landlord called me while I was in the hospital. He said, hey, man, I want you to do me a favor. I'm like, what? He said, I want you to unpack your bag. You can stay there for a year rent-free. We'll figure it out. Some things you won't find out until you step out. 
God put it on the heart of all kind of people to cover expenses and bills, and I never missed a beat. And I was able to begin my ministry journey. And so God wasn't limited by their limitations. And, and often, listen, once we reach our limit, then God will show us his unlimitedlessness, if that's a word. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Whatever he's stirring in you, I want you to hear today, God is faithful. He says to Jonathan, says, do what you think is best, his armor bearer replied. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. And so Jonathan's assistant, listen, he was courageous because courage is contagious. He saw it in his leader. And when people see you taking a faith-filled risk and obedience, they will be encouraged to do the same. We have to give people a faith to imitate as I get ready to wrap it up. Here's the third uh, principle when taking a faith-filled risk. You got to ask God for confirmation. Asking for guidance. Verse 9, he says, listen, this is what we're going to do, uh, uh, armor bearer. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat him. So you got to understand, he had to get to the place of confirmation. If he stayed up under the pomegranate tree, and not obey what he all already knew to be true is the word of the Lord said, drive them out. <laughs> so he obeyed the word, and that brought him to a place like, ooh, this is looking a little risky. I don't know what we're supposed to do. Let's ask for confirmation so he can give us direction. And so what I'm saying is this. You have to step out. God hits a moving target. And you do what you know to be true. You do what you know to be true and from God, and you do that, and you leave all the consequences to him. And so they ask for confirmation. And so I want to give you a few ways that God confirms as we close these things out. He confirms through his word, right, be it a preach word, listen to word, read word, right? His Holy Spirit gives us a sense of comfort and encouragement toward a particular decision or direction. He'll use his people, uh, wise counsel, right? He, he'll speak through other Christ followers. He'll use circumstances. And God will align relevant events to line up like a flood to show you that that's what he wants you to do. And so it's wise to have, a Bible says the thing is established on two or three witnesses. It's good to have a couple of these to stand on as you're moving forward. And so I see those same confirmations in this story, right? They had the word of God, Deuteronomy 6, 19. God had already spoken. God's people, Jonathan asked his assistant, circumstances, man, uh, if this thing switch up, uh, then we'll know this is what we're supposed to do. You see it right there in the text. So the final principle is this, obey God and take the faith-filled risk. That's all you got to do next. They killed some 20 men in all. Their bodies were scattered all over, uh, about half an acre, close to half the size of a football field, I think. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. They took down 20 enemies in a space just under half the size of a football field, 7,000 square feet or something like that. But if anybody good at that type of stuff, you can let me know. <laughs> While they are fighting, God sends an earthquake that reaches the rest of their enemies and put them in fear, put them in panic, and put them in confusion to the point that their enemies were killing each other. Don't miss it. 
When they stepped out and obeyed God by faith, all they had was one sword. But at the right time, God sent an earthquake. Do you see how it worked? They didn't need an earthquake up under the tree. And here's the problem with us. We'll be up under the prominent granite tree asking God for an earthquake. He said, you don't need one right there. When you get in the battle, oh, try, I'm going to take care of my sons and daughters. I got your back. So that's what we do. We say, Lord, send the earthquake first. <laughs> and let me know how this thing going to work. Right? And so here's the reality, y'all. The heartbeat of the message is this, and I just want you to take this away with you. It's really this. When you step out, God will step in. I don't know what it is he has for you to do. I don't know what he's been stirring in your heart. I don't know what you're up against, what your vision, goals, dreams are. But what I do know is that when you step out, you've invited God to step in. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father and our God. Would you help us to be like Jonathan and his armor bearer? Help us to obey the word. Help us to talk to godly counsel and wisdom and help us to seek you for circumstances. And Father, help us to choose obedience over comfort and follow you by faith. You know what you're doing in this house. You know what you're doing in this space, Father. And I pray that you would get all kind of glory because of their obedience. Send an earthquake, God, because somebody need one. In Jesus' name, amen.